Welcome to the Afterbirth Podcast. I'm Jazz. And I'm Liv, and we're your hosts. The Afterbirth Podcast was created to be a space for you to share your postpartum story in your own words and listen to others share their experiences. In this show, we'll be talking bleeding, feeding, late night Google reading, and so much more. Each episode, we'll delve into all of the weird and wonderful parts of the postpartum experience with real parents and experts. We hope these stories help you to feel empowered, educated and prepared on your own postpartum journey or just help you to feel more connected to others whose stories might resonate with your own. Now let's get into today's show. Before we get into the episode, we would like to acknowledge and pay our respects to the traditional owners of the lands on which this podcast was recorded, the lands of the people of the Yugambeh language region and Darawal country. This land always was and always will be Aboriginal. Hi everyone, welcome to part two of Lisette's story. In this episode, Lisette tells us about her birth and postpartum experiences with her children Cooper and Luella. We talk about Lisette's journey through motherhood while still holding space for the grief she felt for her daughter Isabel. There are so many beautiful synchronicities and experiences that Lisette and her partner navigated through and Lisette leaves us with some really insightful advice into how to hold space for someone going through the loss of a child. We know that there is never anything that anyone can say or do to take this pain away, but we hope that Lisette's story holds you tightly in its warm embrace just for a moment. As this episode talks about pregnancy and infant loss, we have placed a trigger warning in our show notes as well as the appropriate resources and Lisette's IG handle. As always, if you aren't feeling up to listening to the episode, please feel free to come back when you are ready to do so. Let's get into today's episode. Oh my goodness. How far postpartum were you at that point when you were on your way home? Eight weeks, my second cycle. My cycles came down to like the day after we lost Isabel. I could track ovulation in my period like by the day, which I'd been on the pill for 14 years. I didn't know what was going to happen. So I came off the pill and it would have been six days later I fell pregnant with Isabel. And then had my first period after birth. And then two weeks after that, I would have had this chemical pregnancy. So it was bang, bang, bang for my Mm. poor old body. Other than like disclaimer, you shouldn't do that because your cervix is still open and that is not a good idea for infection. So guys, don't do that. <laughs> we'll pop a little, a little disclaimer under this episode. <laughs> Please do. Don't do what she did. Yeah. Um, so then it made us realise we had the conversation. Are we going to try again? Uh, I suppose that leads into my next story, which is Cooper. Yeah. <laughs> So we decided to, in the yeah, what have been said? Well, it takes a long time to make a baby, so maybe we could just grieve through while we make them, <laughs> which I agreed with. I love that. Very pragmatic. Yeah. Okay, yeah. Next day. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I hope he doesn't mind me saying that. <laughs> I gave him the opportunity to tell me what he didn't want said, and that wasn't yep. on the list. So there you go. Fair game. <laughs> um sorry babe and two weeks later we were pregnant with Cooper I remember we did actually track ovulation for that because I thought oh I'm gonna bother to do this I'll do it right you know and I remember waking up the morning that I thought I think I think I'm ovulating I'll check and I was um, positive with my ovulation and then we went down and had a coffee afterwards and I looked back up at our house and there was a here we go, woo-woo, there was a big rainbow over our house. And I, I'm not lying, I took a photo because I was like, wow, 
did we just did we just maybe conceive and there's a beautiful big rainbow for our rainbow baby that would be a bit too much I better take a photo and that was our Cooper James um so 36 weeks later he was in the world he um was a pretty full-on pregnancy um just with anxiety we were monitored very closely I had a um I had like a formal ultrasound every month and then I had a informal bedside ultrasound um, every month as well, but they were alternating on the fortnightly. So fortnightly ultrasounds. And did you have the same care team with Cooper as you had with Isabel? I had the same obstetrician for all three. Yeah, well. And with Cooper, it was actually quite special. So the anaesthetist who put my epidural in came back and did my spinal for the cesarean had the same obstetrician I had the same midwife at the private clinic that I was going to and Nikki and this is why I was using names earlier so Nikki who was my uh, midwife that they waited for for me to have for Isabel was 39 weeks pregnant with her last child and starting mat leave that day we had to we scheduled in Cooper to make sure that Nikki was the cesarean like scrubbed in midwife with her big belly and was the first to hold Cooper and pass Cooper up to me for a very quick um, sterile feel broken skin on skin moment Um, so I had the entire same team that is unreal Jade followed me through with Cooper as well my student midwife She's now going on to be an obstetrician. So she is doing very well. Um, So I was just so blessed with the care team I had Mm. and Belinda. So where do I even start with that woman? She's incredible. She held it together. Sorry, held us together through it all. A regular contact from a medical standpoint with um, being postpartum while I was on the Camino and then finding out I was pregnant with with Cooper um, I reached out to Belinda as well and we had a couple of conversations about the chosen method for birth obviously I had those conversations with my obstetrician but I had them with Belinda as well and she um, suggested exposure therapy because I was quite anti-natural birth because I, I had it in my head that the labour might have caused her to pass. So all of these are obviously unfounded, uh, me just in my own head. Like I don't want anyone listening to think that this is what caused it. Then we do not have an answer for what happened with Isabel. But in my state of anxiety, I just obviously didn't want anything to harm my next child and I didn't want to go through natural labour. And I think everyone in my care team was saying, but you did so well with your natural labor. Are you sure you don't want to consider it? And they weren't overly open to me being induced Mm. uh, just so soon after a postpartum hemorrhage, um, which they were obviously watching with my iron levels and everything for pregnancy as well. So um, we, so Belinda set up some exposure therapy because I didn't want to change hospitals. It wasn't the hospital's fault that this had happened. They're an incredible care team and I wouldn't be in the position I am today if it wasn't for the hospital we went to. 
um, like the positive position that we are in, which is two beautiful, healthy children. So I remember going down that corridor to the birth suite because they're all mirror image to, to just see if I could make sure I wasn't in number 10, but I could be in any other, but they couldn't guarantee that. You don't know what's happening on the day when you come in. And I had like a meltdown. Like it was, I can't go in there. There is no way I'm going through what I went through again. I, you can't guarantee it's going to be a positive outcome when I start that labor. I'm not going in that room. I didn't even want to go in there pregnant with Cooper. I felt like it was a bad omen and me just stepping into that space might be detrimental. So then she walked me around to um, surgical, uh, like to like operating theatres and that, that I was very comfortable with and it felt fine. The other concern we had with, with me going full-time was that I had exactly the same yeah, due date um Cooper and Isabel they had exactly the same due date down to the day so all the milestones you know like you you remember Christmas when you're pregnant and I was the same gestation on Christmas day two years in a row just little things like I started mat leave around about the same time again Um, the same trees were in bloom the same smells were around all of those little things like so it was like it was like a constant trigger of the same stages and and you're thinking are you going to have the same situation happen again and the last thing I needed was to be going into labor around about the same time and then trying to give birth on the same day and it would have just been too much um, for me to cope emotionally and my my husband as well so we elected for a Caesar um, and I um I thought I was doing okay until we had our last um obstetrician appointment and she asked my husband how I was going and I was not coping very well emotionally and he did disclose it to her so she was able to move the cesarean up to 36 and 6 which did actually require ethics approval because it comes out of that safe gestation period but just from a mental health perspective they thought let's just do it and so we had him uh, by cesarean on the 10th of may um, and he was seven pounds still. <laughs> it's actually quite big Good for boy. that. Yeah, mm. for that gestation. And the whole the same care team. It was it it closed the loop so beautifully. I remember walking into theatre and all those same faces, and I think I could have been in a panic, but it just calmed me and like you could see a couple of people with a few tears and it was really beautiful he was a bit cold when we gave when I gave birth um so he had to be whipped away from me straight away and out into the humidity crib um and some skin on skin with dad instead of mum. um I did a very very brief amount but they just couldn't thermoregulate so they had to take him out of the cold theater room which I did struggle with a bit but I just, I knew he was alive and he was with dad and I didn't care. Like bigger picture is that he was here and he was screaming. So he was alive and well. So, um, and he latched straight away when I got back out um, into um, recovery. I had another postpartum hemorrhage. Just throw that one in there. (laughs) 1.5 litres again, I think. Oh, um, I was fine. I didn't need a blood transfusion either time. It really didn't even clock on my radar. It was not an issue. Trusted the care team. Cracked on with it. I got the bleed. Like my hemoglobin held, and I have a baby. 
So this time around, whatever, <laughs> give him yeah. a baby. Um, and I was just ecstatic. It was amazing. Those few days with him in hospital, I had Mother's Day in hospital and it was amazing. It was just, we hadn't told anyone we were pregnant actually. So we didn't tell our family until we were three months. We just didn't, I don't know why, I'm not really sure of the thought process, just the white noise maybe mm. and the stress of everyone. I just wanted to be in a safe gestation period to be able to say, you know, you can be happy that we're past that three month mark. Mm. I don't want everyone stressing in those early weeks. And then if you hadn't seen me between um, Isabel and Cooper from a friendship perspective, then you wouldn't have known those mm. social media updates. I didn't tell people on the phone, nothing like that. Uh, just trying to keep my head down and be focused and keep my stress levels low. So he, he was a tricky newborn. He had severe reflux that wasn't diagnosed until he was six months old. Oh, wow. So I had oversupply of milk and they're not really sure exactly why my oversupply was so intense. Uh, and they're not sure if it actually caused his reflux because he was just getting like, my, my letdown was just massive. But they wonder if the instant suppression of breast milk, I had still developed all of the same, like all of the breast tissue and breast cells, milk cells, or I'm not sure of the technical term for that, not a midwife, um, and then created a whole other set or like a further created more with Cooper because I kind of like almost froze the last amount in time and was pregnant so soon after. Right. But for example, like I remember the first night away from Cooper I had at like four months, I had given him a feed and then it was only like five hours later, I was sitting in the shower with a hucker and I'd pulled off two litres. Yeah. What? Yeah. That is a hectic oversupply. Like it was wild. Was that uh, painful? Yeah. They looked great, but. Oh, yeah. <laughs> sitting up, up at your chin. <laughs> and I don't have much of a, um, I'm not, I don't have a very big bust, so it was. It went from like a small B to a wall. Yeah. <laughs> but like my formula was like bright blue. Wow. wow. And it was really difficult because like just this postpartum component, you know, um, I was like there was that fine balance of trying to get the um, hind milk for him um, because obviously it's, you know, that's what he needed, that more of the nutrition because it all, like if he would fill up on the formula and there wasn't, you know, all the fat components but then, of course, if I'm going to pump off the four milk, then I'm increasing my supply. Mm. So the Hucker was amazing. Um, I don't have any shares in Hucker. Um, it's just a really good product. <laughs> um, so that was great because it wasn't like overstimulating. It would just catch it. And so I would always manage to do four milk on one side and then make sure I was catching. Like I, I would like literally pour out an entire Hucker. I just dump it. I wouldn't even freeze it. I had so much in the freezer. It was like, like, and you would just freeze blue bags. Yeah, mm. wow. It was just all four milk. Um, and then I'd put him on to like, you know, then I'd put, you know, if I four milk on the left, I milk on the right, like, and try, and I was like, I had this hair tie situation going. Like, oh, yeah. Like, switching, yeah. The, yeah. switching the like, band. 
but I was not just even switching the band for which boob it was for which one did the high milk and which one did the full milk like it was just it was the only way I could like manage it and I was using an app which threw that out the window after about two weeks it was just mm. too much um I almost even considered donating and then I thought oh god choose your battles like <laughs> oh yeah you, you've got enough going on Del. <laughs> mentally yeah. unstable at this point because I was just like <laughs> so like we still hadn't even had Isabel's first birthday yet yeah um, well Isabel's first birthday um so they're technically uh Irish twins mm. so same calendar year yeah to school together potentially I no, would I, I I am interested to know Lisette with having such a tricky newborn and and like postpartum phase with Cooper and we have sort of talked about this a little bit before we started recording when you were having those hard times was there an element of like guilt oh yeah definitely so there's just that like normal loss of identity with becoming a mum that I totally hold space for like I I hear it from every new mum regardless of their lead into motherhood you just feel like a jersey cow you serve one purpose to keep this little bundle of joy alive at the sacrifice of your own well-being um you know you might have some medical complications going on but you've got to keep breastfeeding you know and there's all of those components and then you have a baby that's got reflux to the point where he would feed and vomit and then feed again he just vomit it all up and then feed again um, which obviously was adding to the oversupply as well fill up his bassinet with vomit you the, the loads of washing a day were unbelievable I just wanted to cry constantly um, he got investigated for pyloric stenosis at three mm. weeks of age um, because he managed to vomit with a projectile range of about three meters yeah, so it was like, that was quite a scary moment. So, mm. you know, then there's that. And then you go, oh, my God, what am I doing? I'm angry at this baby making me do a load of washing, but I have a baby in my arms, you know, like, and then you'd hate yourself for it. Not in like a self-loathing way, just in like a, you know, not in a um, red flag way, but just in a, how could you how could you forget for even a second the privilege of where you are in this journey that you've made it you've you had a baby but you haven't slept so you are unhinged yeah (laughs) and those two things are allowed to coexist you're allowed to be Mm -hmm. grateful that you have this baby in your arms whilst also acknowledging that what you're going through is hard um, and and having that self-compassion. And yeah, I can imagine that was really, really hard. Yeah, it was tricky to navigate. Um, and then your support network around you is, it, they're going through the same hurdles. Mm. It's a grandma that's just lost a granddaughter but also has a beautiful grandson. I mean, that grandmother gets to go home and have a full night's sleep and process it. But <laughs> I say that as a joke, but no, they're like my my sisters, my sister-in-law and, you know, my my mom and my in-laws that we're all going, and obviously my husband, we're all going through the same, like, balancing act mentally. How do we hold space for Isabel while wanting to create a really beautiful, positive postpartum newborn bubble experience with Cooper? Um, 
I wrote letters to Cooper through my pregnancy and postpartum period to make sure that if and when he becomes a tricky adolescent and says, you just replaced me, to replaced her with me, I just thought I could just see like, you know, bar, word words, you know, like, like barbs coming out. I can throw those letters at him and say, God, by no means were you ever a replacement. You were just, you saved my life. Honestly saved our souls. Um, he's such a beautiful child. He's so full of life. He's very intelligent, uh, very cheeky. You have to be very focused with him because he gets bored so easily and he'll want to be on to the next thing. Uh, but he was gaining like 500 grams a week um, for like maybe two months. Like he was just loves his food and yeah. just lives life to the fullest. He thrives. So um, he's always been beautiful in that way. So it was That's such so a privilege. privilege and so so Cooper's four now and you've got Lulu as well, who is two, is that? Yeah, so we had Cooper James, who's now, yeah, just over four and um, James, his middle name, because we want the Camino, well, the way of St. James is its um, English name. And we thought that'd be like a, one, it's a good name and it'd be just a nice honouring of Isabel. So we had Cooper and we fell into a really beautiful rhythm of life with him. And I think we decided we would, he would have another sibling at some point, but we would just pause um, and give ourselves some time to, to breathe after, you know, what a whirlwind of two years. We went to, on to have, you know, Isabel's birthday and honour her in that way. Um, but just like Luella's very big personality, she was not waiting she arrived um, as a beautiful surprise. <laughs> I had decided that my body had gone through a, a lot of hormones in a very short period of time. So I tried the mini pill, but then decided not. I didn't want the effects of the mood um, imbalance that you can get with um, the OCP. So I, I, after about two months, said, you know what, I'm just going to leave it. Um, we'll just try and be safe and that didn't really work out and so Luella was conceived um, and Cooper would have only been well he was 22 months when we had Lulu so I had three pregnancies in three and a half years so like I was always antenatal and postnatal all at the same time constantly mm. for this period of time yeah yeah it was busy um so we found out we were pregnant with Lulu a bit later than normal. Like, I think like we just scraped in for the NIPT. Yeah, wow. So 11 weeks, I think. Yeah, like 10, 11 weeks. Yeah, I think we pushed in by like a day or two. Um, and, of course, we, we had the NIPT with Isabel. Um, just, I think, from our medical background, why wouldn't you? And we wanted to find out our gender. And we did the same with Coop and Luella because we wanted to make sure and we had genetic testing for both of ourselves to see if there were any, any and Isabel had genetic testing um, post-mortem. Um, so we continued that with, with both the kids to make sure there was nothing missed. Mm. Um, and Luella had a very similar pregnancy to Cooper where she was highly monitored, uh, but we did push out with her cesarean to 38 
and four or something like that. Okay. She, was, she wasn't as early. I did cope a bit better. Had you done any work in the meantime? As yes. far as, yeah, working on your... Mental um, health. Yeah. Yeah, so um, I think, like I mentioned before about the sleeping pills and the antidepressants, and they made me a bit zombie-like. So I quite quickly dismissed those, um, particularly the sleeping pills and the antidepressants I cut in half within like, oh, like two weeks of having Isabel and then weaned right down not long after. And then with um, my psychology support, we had we were introduced to a counsellor, Naomi, quite early on with um, like post Isabel. She actually said, look, let's make sure we do a bit of work, a bit of trauma work before you go and try and conceive um, again, which I, I sat quietly in that meeting because I had a feeling that I was already pregnant with Cooper. And she, she laughed because she still remembered. She's like, I remember the look on your face, like, a, oh, like I just got caught. <laughs> Too late. Too late. Um, so I always wanted to do EMDR. And that was, it's not advised to um, commence EMDR when you are pregnant. Right. Uh, Can you tell us what EMDR is? Because I know a little bit about it, but I don't think Jazz had ever heard of it before. No, I actually had to Google it before I jumped onto the call because I was like, I've, yeah, never heard of it. So it's eye movement, desensitization and reprocessing. It's like a psychotherapy mm -hmm. um, and they use it for like um, emotional distress or trauma. I can't... <sighs> I mean, it sounds a bit mental, but I can't really um, remember it that well anymore. You do a lot of work prior to identifying your um, trigger memories, but you have to be very careful with the trigger memories that you choose. So if I chose a trigger memory that I, it's not about blocking it out, it's about like desensitizing to it, but you can almost like forget the memory a little bit like I do forget the memories that I've chosen because I was getting them as flashbacks um like quite intrusive thoughts and in like a benign situation walking the dog uh, a really horrific flashback about the birthing process or something like that um, but if I chose something that included say Isabel's face in it then you run the risk of forgetting that so I had to choose carefully the traumatic events that I wanted to work on um, that didn't include anything that I wanted, could potentially forget. Mm. Um, so that was there was a lot of work in the lead up, um, choosing the moments, and then the therapy, um, kind of like one hour blocks, and they're all about sitting there and sitting in those moments and thinking about that event. The therapist does whatever the therapist does. And then you hopefully desensitize to it. Um, and I, I think I only had four or five sessions and it's been so effective. Like I, I wasn't necessarily, I wouldn't say I was skeptical because there's a lot of evidence behind it. Um, but you just kind of think, well, but my case was really, really sad. Like how could it possibly work? But it really has desensitized me to, um, well, at least the flashbacks, that was the hardest thing to manage just in day-to-day -day living and you don't want um, flashbacks of childbirth when you're about to go through childbirth, you know, like so there was all that component. 
we had, to, we had to delay it because I was pregnant then with Cooper. So then I did actually re-engage with that process and then realised I was pregnant with Luella. Um, yeah, with Luella. Sorry, I just thought I said the wrong name. So, yeah, Cooper. And then I was um, had to pause it and then Luella again had to pause it. Yeah. So it took a few years to get to doing the work just due to the pregnancies. Is it not recommended in pregnancy because it can cause like a lot of distress? And mm. is that is that why? Yeah, I'd have to like really look into it, Michelle. Yeah. It is the theory at the time that I was told. Like right. it increases your cortisol levels. Mm. Like you are sitting in the trauma of the moment. Yeah, you're reprocessing it all. Exactly. Right. And they don't really know what that could do to an unborn child. So they, you know, just for safety, they steer away from it. Um, oh. I think if you had... I mean, I'm sure there are psychologists and psychiatrists that might challenge that in extreme circumstances, but I can't speak to that. Mm, so yeah. if you're really dysregulated, they maybe consider it regardless because sure. you're living in perpetual dysregulation. So, I mean. What's, yeah. Yeah, what's worse. Yeah. I'm not sure, but um, in my situation, it was just deemed an unnecessary risk. Yeah. Um, and so we waited until a year ago I did it. Okay. Um, so four years post Isabel and it really helped yeah oh that's so good what yeah. what was your postpartum with Luella like oh a, a lot more peaceful um I had learned baptism by fire the mum guilt and how to sit with that better and I also learned how to sit with that mum guilt side by side with the loss of Isabel I'd, I'd already had a father's day and a mother's day without her and a father's day and a mother day mother's day with a child I'd had um uh, she had reflux as well but it was nowhere near as bad as um Cooper and my, and you had to handle that so that curveball wasn't as big we bought a snoo so I got sleep <laughs> <laughs> it was really beautiful finding out that she was a girl actually we decided to leave that as a surprise and then I I realized that I didn't want to have a newborn and also have to pack up all Isabel's things so there was no issue with having another boy yeah but I just had boxed up all of Isabel's beautiful clothes and little bits and pieces that we didn't use for Cooper he just didn't really suit unicorns in pink um, <laughs> even though I was comfortable dressing him in them um he just looked like a little cross-dresser to be honest <laughs> I tried I actually my tried. first is because I've got two boys my first is like we call him this is awful but we call him a little <laughs> girly boy like when he was a baby you couldn't tell if he was a girl or a boy like and we used to I used to dress him in like pretty gender neutral <laughs> stuff but our second is a boy like mm look at him there is no mistaking it and so I can relate to the the cross-dresser comment like if I <laughs> try to dress him in yeah Cooper's really like pretty oh god he'll kill me if he listens to this <laughs> he is he's a very pretty child yeah um and we used to be asked if he was a girl if he was in neutrals but then if mm. you put him actually put him in girly things that's when you could tell it was really weird you're like oh, mm, he's yeah so right girly. yeah even though he is like really pretty to look at mm -hmm. um so I remember realizing that I was going to have to do that I was going to have to part with all of 
Isabel's precious little things that I had bundled up in all those special boxes. And there was a lot of things. I was excited about having Isabel. So I went to town on shopping. Um, and I just didn't want to do that in the newborn phase. I didn't, I don't want to have that hanging over my head. And I mentioned it to my husband. So we um, had a friend wrap up a present, um, letting us know if it was a girl or a boy. And we put it under the Christmas tree and we opened it up on Christmas day with all our family around us. It's beautiful. It was really beautiful. <laughs> um, and it was a little girl. And I, I remember crying, not because I was ecstatic about it being a girl or a boy, but just breathing life into all of those little items that I'd got for her. And I know it's very materialistic, but it's symbolic at the same time. Um, just that full circle. So Luella Rose, we changed, chose her name to, after her big sister's middle name. And that's after my grandma too as well. So she was Rose. And she was born March 2019. No, that was Cooper. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I don't even know where we are. What are we? 2021. She's March 2021. Um, <laughs> and she's an evanescent child. She um, she's fantastic. And it was a really beautiful newborn bubble. Really beautiful, actually. Just no, it wasn't as raw. The grief I just really got to lean into and I, like I remember at one point I just turned to Ben I'm like is this what they talk about this is the newborn bubble and it was really gorgeous yeah so now she's just over two and Coop starts school next year and somehow we've gone from having no baby in our arms and all that grief to a very full and noisy house and oh it's just so lucky tired but lucky. Lisette I think that this is probably a beautiful place for us to start wrapping up but I really wanted to ask you if you have any I guess advice or or words to anybody who is either going through a, a pregnancy or infant loss or who has close friends or family who are going through it and like I know that when we've spoken prior to this recording there have been a few things that you've been like this is what I want people to know mm. or is there anything that you'd like to speak to yeah um a few things so we all grieve differently and I think it's about respecting the differences in some people's grief processes some people want to speak about it and some people won't um I mean if you're out there and you're going through this um something I found quite often was and I, I hope you don't think I'm trying to gender stereotype it was just this is anecdotally what I've found dads tend to um, maybe shut down and retreat a bit more they don't know where they fit into it because it's really happened to the woman's body and uh, maybe they're not as verbal and that's okay and just maybe give them that space and let them come to the table when they're ready I felt um, maybe sometimes Ben was cornered a bit by me <laughs> and I learned that I just needed to give him that space to grieve, but keep him in the conversation. Don't shut him out of it. 
So that's it's a fine balance. Um, and I found that dads weren't represented nearly as enough in the conversation, mm-hmm. uh, maybe because they weren't making as much noise because they didn't feel like it was an appropriate space because it was the mum who gave birth and this all happens. And it's like, you know, a child that passes away at 5, 10, 15 years of age, they've been a parent for those periods of time. But it's a very different process when it's miscarriage or stillbirth or, or even um, neonatal um, So because it's so close to that period of birth and mummy is postpartum there's nothing wrong at all with going through the changes to motherhood whatsoever and having um, all of those struggles but if you're someone listening to this and you've got a friend who's just gone through loss and you're experiencing motherhood for the first time you can feel what you're feeling which is the difficulty of motherhood but make sure you're tactful when you're describing that to your friend who's going through loss. Finding another person to maybe vent to is more appropriate. I have had some times when people have told me that they had, and I'm talking within hours of giving birth, and this was 10 days after I lost Isabel, I had one friend say, well, I don't know what I've done. I shouldn't have had a baby, basically. And I literally buried my child two days earlier. And I don't hold any animosity to her feeling that way. I mean, they're noisy. Newborns are noisy, like, and hard. And baby blues are horrible. But I wasn't the person to have that conversation with. And I think it's just about, yeah, choosing your people, choosing your moment. And sometimes it's okay to not have any words just sit with that person in their grief and their, and just hold space for them. You can't bring that child back. That's the only thing that person wants. So don't worry about saying the right thing. Just don't say the wrong thing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I know that you said um, to me in one of our conversations earlier that just that, and, you know, maybe when the dust settles, a little bit but just that asking about you know you still had a baby so ask about them and say their name and you know who did they look like did did you notice any similarities to you or to dad um just let them talk about their baby because the normal the normal conversations that you have with someone who's just had a child I really I want I still wanted to talk about it I know and I got so worried it would make people uncomfortable and I really wanted to show photos of her and I know like you don't have to be open to seeing a photo of a baby that's passed away and I wouldn't put that on anyone but if you think that you could manage it it's pretty special for that parent Mm. someone wants to see my child and they're not so uncomfortable with their own you know like unsureness that they're willing to put that aside and and see your child I really Mm. want to show pictures of her and um and talk about her and tell anyone who'd listen that she had her grandmother's eyes and got her mum's hair and I just never really got to say it Mm. so A, a friend of mine um lost one of her twins recently um they went full term yeah and she she didn't share her story for a really long time out of respect to everyone else and then one day she 
she like I'd seen the photos I went to the funeral because she's a really close friend and I we always spoke her name Ayana we always said her name um and she wanted to share it on social media and she was so worried about you know protecting everyone else and I said babe if you want to share your story and put her name out there go for it like that's your you know if that's going to make you feel even a smidge better about what had happened and the reaction she got from her friends and family was so supportive and even strangers commented on these photos and it was just so people are so caring and I think yeah if you if you want to share your story there will definitely be people out there that are so receptive to it and so supportive um so yeah it's a really beautiful thing to do it really is and it I have I chose to share my story on my social media um, a little bit more as every year ticks by. Um, And I kind of try to let people in a little bit more, maybe just more of my stories and that um, around the grief process at the significant times of the year, like her birthday or we're missing her at Christmas or Easter or something like that. And I find it always starts conversations privately. I'll have people reach out often to say I've just a best friend or a sister or or whoever's just lost a little one, what do I do? Um, And I just think that's such a privilege. I don't know if I give the right advice and I never assume that I have it. I just say what worked for myself and my family um, and my journey, but it is a privilege to be let in in a time like that I was supported initially. Like, so I, um, I hold a lot of respect for the counselling services that are out there for stillbirths, but it wasn't for me. I didn't really want to sit around in a circle and, and hear about everyone else's story because I don't want to hear about 10 of my stories in one day. That's, that's horrible. Like, it's so sad. I can barely cope with my own. I don't, like, I don't feel alone. I know the statistics, but I did want to talk to someone who got it. So I, a friend linked me up with someone who had been through it as well. And then I have always done that, like kind of given back. If I hear about someone who's just been through it, I don't need to know them, but I've still gone just have coffee with them. And it's just that one-on-one back and forth, someone who's healed maybe two or three down, years down the track and, and can say, well, this is what you're up for for the next year at least. I feel that that was a really nice intimate way of, um, having social support mm. um, but everyone does it differently and I have immense respect for everyone choosing their own path um, the other thing I really felt that helped the exercise like just literally the mental health checklist you know are you eating healthy thank god I was pregnant with Cooper I couldn't drink <laughs> like it was something that like I, I was never a big drinker um, you know, go out for, you know, a a party or whatever here and there. But I was worried when I first lost her, like, what am I going to do with a year off work? And Mm. which I did return to work. Um, I was bored. Um, But I, I was worried, like, what what am I going to do? I'll just have a drink in the afternoon. And that was kind of happening a little bit. And then the minute I was pregnant, all that stopped and it was good. And I had to eat healthy. I was forced to eat healthy because I had a baby inside of me and I had to exercise and like walking the Camino, you don't have to go jet setting across the globe and walk 350 kilometers, but 
moving your body in a safe space or in um, a gentle way, you know, obviously if you're postpartum in the appropriate medical way as well, it, it's just, it does wonders for your mental health. Um, and it gives you an escape. Meditation, yoga, my choice is Pilates and the community I am in actually with Pilates is incredible. Shout out to Ash and Leash for supporting me when I had a baby in my arms on like with a carrier on me doing lunges or just having a bloody meltdown, Sam's baby. <laughs> um, they're amazing. They're at Wilston. Um, but yeah, moving your body. I think that's a big key, eating healthy, just being kind to yourself and yeah. saying no to social engage engagements. If you know you're going to be triggered, mm. you've, just lost a bub or you're just in a hard space regardless and you're going to go to a baby shower don't go to the baby shower mm -hmm. that's okay say no you know yeah boundaries boundaries 100 percent mm. been through so much oh all right <laughs> thank you so much i can't put into words how incredible it's been to have this chat with you and how honoured we are to have been able to hold space for your beautiful, terrible, just incredible story. We are eternally grateful to you. Mm -hmm. It was lovely to be heard. It was slightly indulgent. I got to be able, I was able to speak about Isabel for two hours. So <laughs> you were amazing. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah. thank you. It was lovely to meet you both. Well, that's another episode done for today. We hope you enjoyed this one as much as we did. If you are a postpartum professional or you'd like to come and share your story with us, please reach out via our socials or email, which you can find in the show notes. We'd love to hear from you. We will be releasing a new episode every Wednesday.